Praise God. As I was thinking about tonight's message, it just always happens when I, anytime I preach on Jesus showing up in any environment, I automatically, naturally start thinking about dishes and um, crock pots and, and metal pans and bowls and spatulas. Isn't that odd? Is that what you think about when you think about Jesus showing up? No, that's what I think about. Because I've been married for 37 years. <laughs> and um, my wife and I, we started, we dated for four years. So we've been together 41 years. You can't imagine a guy that's only 50 has been married that long. <laughs> but I started thinking about crock pots and pans and spatulas and, 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 and I started thinking about two glasses, a cup, a knife, and two spoons. Because my wife's been gone since last November. And whenever my wife comes home, three things happen to me when I start thinking about my wife coming home. Number one, I get happy. Hey man, I do, I get happy. I can't wait to see her. Number two, I get humbled. It's true, I do. I, <laughs> it humbles me. And, and <laughs> humbled. Yeah. Number number three, I get holy. She reminds she has the same effect on me that Jesus does. It's a crazy thing. I can be on the phone talking to my wife in a restaurant, and if she hears a female voice in the background, I know she's gonna ask me, is there a woman there? I said, baby, I've been married to you for 37 years. There ain't no women anywhere around me. You have to understand. But she's just checking on me. And I started thinking when I started writing the sermon, I started thinking, and it just got accelerated more and more today when I started thinking. I got two glasses, a coffee cup, two spoons, and a knife in, in my sink at home. And it's not cleaned. And mama's coming home. Now, I think that's pretty good with a single guy that hadn't had his wife around for like 10 months. You'd think two glasses, a cup, two spoons, and a knife wouldn't be too bad. But I promise you, if my wife comes home and they're in the sink, she's going to say, what's that? Am I your maid? She said, no, baby, I didn't need a maid. I, that's been like that for like three months. <laughs> I can live with that. Last time she came home, She's going crazy looking for the crock pot. The crock pot. Well, I do ministry. And I cook barbecue and I'll keep it warm in a crock pot. And so I took the crock pot over to Victoria Arms Apartments where I do ministry every Tuesday at 1 o'clock to some of the housing and urban development low-income people. And I, and I cook beef in there and I warm it up and I happen to leave the crock pot at my daughter's house. And I knew she was going to ask me about the crock pot. I knew it, but I didn't have time to go find it. So first thing, I'm telling you, first thing, uh, we, had to, we were having an outing, and we had some people come over. She likes to make this dip with cheese and, and uh, Rotel and all this and hamburger in it. She said, um, um, and I knew it. As soon as she said she was making it, I said, oh, Lord. She's going to ask me about the crock pot. It's just humbling when my wife comes home. It's humbling because, because I think I'm doing good until she shows up. And when she shows up, I find out that I'm just not doing very good. So every time she comes home, I try to do a little bit better. And I'm starting to learn this system. So instead of me waiting for the week before she comes to try to get clean, I just try to keep everything clean all the time. Keep everything in the right place all the time. And then if she happens to show up sometime, it's going to be all right. And it won't be so much work for me to get straightened out. So when my wife comes around, I get happy. When my wife comes around, I get humble. When my wife comes around, I get holy. I start straightening some things out. The reason I say that is because I want to talk to you about something that happened in the New Testament. And uh, it's about the presence of God. When Jesus shows up. See, I've been praying all week that Jesus would show up this week. I've been praying really hard this week that Jesus would show up tonight. And I can tell you that he is in this place. If you believe that, say, praise God. He's in this place. And, and there's certain things that happens when Jesus shows up and you just can't help it. You can fight it. You can try to resist it. You can try to rebel against it. But when he shows up, the same kind of stuff happens. You get happy. We've been happy. Amen. You know that singing? Hasn't it been good? 
you get, you get humbled, amen, and you get holy. Well, that's kind of what happened in this story. I went to a Bob Harrington crusade. Anybody heard of Bob Harrington before? Bob Harrington was called the chaplain of Bourbon Street in New Orleans back in the day, like in the 80s. 70s. So when I was a young man before I got saved, he was like a freak show. You know, you went to see him because he ministered to people on, on, on Bourbon Street in New Orleans. I mean, some really lost, messed up people. And he would go around and do, do you know, he'd preach in these big old convention centers. So I went down there just to kind of see the show. I wasn't a Christian. I just thought it was kind of cool to meet somebody that ministers to all these nasty people. And I went down there and, and I messed up. Because I'm sitting in that stadium, me and my friends are talking, we're kind of laughing, man. Look what he's doing that, this guy's nuts, he's lost his mind. This guy's crazy, he's going to lose his life. You know, we were laughing about how stupid he was to be doing ministry, that somebody's probably going to kill him. And what business does a preacher have doing that? That's what we are, we were sinners, we didn't think about it. And then it, I messed up, because when I went there, you know who was there? Jesus. <laughs> and they gave the invitation, and I just, my feet started moving towards the front. <laughs> Just kind of naturally happened. Because when the Spirit of Jesus comes, I get happy, but it's kind of conflicting because then I get a little bit humbled because he always exposes stuff in my life that nobody else sees. He's like my wife. He's always finding stuff. I think I got everything in order. When Jesus shows up, all of a sudden I find out what's not in order. And it's a good thing because I need to have things in order. I just don't like getting things in order. I don't like making my bed every morning. I didn't do that. Most of the time when my wife left, I'd do it the night before. But what would happen is a lot of stuff would pile up, you know, and, and I'd be thinking about it. You know, I'd say, i got to make my bed. I'm, for weeks, i got to make my bed because I'm only home two or three days a month. And I'm thinking, I've only got two days. Two days before my wife comes home, i got to make my bed. i got to clean two glasses. i got to clean a cup, two spoons and a knife. i got to find that crazy crock pot and put it right on the counter where she can see it. And that pan. That pan that I cook my sausage on when I go down to cook in the 30s, I, she, she asked about the pan. She's got 100 pans. She knows that pan is missing. How can you know this? That's my wife. But that's exactly what happened when the Holy Spirit shows up. When the Holy Spirit shows up, you think everything's okay, all of a sudden you start thinking, wait a minute. And he starts pointing stuff out in your life. He starts humbling you. And, he, and the reason he does this is because he wants you to be good. You know what I start doing? Every morning, buddy, when I get up, first thing I do, I make my bed. Make it night. I pull it tight, buddy. I put those pillows. She's got, why do you have all these pillows? You don't use any of these pillows. She's got this big old thing she throws over the bed. And, then, and underneath that thing are two pillows that we sleep on. And then she's got this big, huge pillow here, another one here, another one here. Then like a smaller pillow here, here, here. And then a round pillow here and a little square, another round one here. What's the pillow thing? I thought that was the stupidest thing. So I made my bed every morning. I just threw the pillows on the floor over there. You don't need those. Just get the one. I made my bed with the one pillow in the middle. All the others were on the floor. My wife came home and it's like, ah! She didn't know what I was doing. Well... I found out that mattered to her. So now every morning, I put the two pillows under. I throw the big old thing on top. I get the one, two, three pillows. I straighten them up just right. It's almost like she's back here watching me. She's in Florida. She's 1,500 miles away. It's crazy. See, when I think about his presence, I think about things like that. See, it's, it, it's kind of dangerous, you know, when God shows up. It, it just kind of messes with your life. It's gonna, some things are going to get straightened out. It's just the way things are. When, when the Jesus shows up, it's just, that's just what happens. I want to talk to you about that. I love this statement. In the United States, when uh, somebody has a close call or something, you know, like they almost get caught doing something bad, somebody will say to them, they'll say, well, that was close. And they'll say, close only counts in horseshoes and hand grenades. <laughs> right? And his presence. Because when he gets close, it counts. When he gets close, things start happening. I want you to bow your heads, close your eyes, no one looking around. How many of you trust Jesus? If you trust Jesus, stand up. If you trust Jesus. You think Jesus is pretty smart? Almost every religion in the world believes in Jesus. They believe he's a prophet. Uh, just almost every religion in the world, they believe he's a prophet. So if you trust Jesus, say Amen. All right, bow your head just for a moment. I want to ask you a question. 
If Jesus showed up tonight and he found something in your life that you needed to kind of get straightened out, how many of you say, I trust him? I'd ask him to go ahead and straighten it out. Raise your hand real quick. I would. I trust him. I'd let him, I'd let him straighten that thing out. Okay, thank you. Whew, boy, that was, thank you. You can be seated. I feel much better now. <laughs> a lot of people say they trust Jesus, but they don't always trust Jesus. I want to read you a story. This is about Nick, not your pastor. Another. I'm going to talk about Nick, but not really. I'm really talking about Zach. I thought about Nick. I thought about using Nick tonight, but I thought that, uh, the pastor, he's, he's so much better than Nick was, so we'll talk about Zach. So here's the story. It says, and if you have your Bibles, Matthew chapter 19, it says, uh, Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. I want you to just kind of get the setting. It reminds me of some church services I've been in, or some camp meetings, or some revival services. It's like, Jesus is in town. And when, when Jesus is in town, stuff starts happening. I mean, things start getting pointed out and identified, and you start looking for stuff that's not there, and you start trying to find stuff that's supposed to be there, and you try to get all that stuff straightened out. Well, that's kind of what's happening here. It's kind of, he kind of shakes things up. And there's, everybody kind of wants to see Jesus. They, they want to see him. That was, that was, that's about old, that, that was about Zach. He says, a man there that was there, his name was Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was. So I want you to sit on that for a minute. See, Zach was curious about Jesus. He heard he was a good man. He heard he was an interesting guy. He heard he did some, some amazing stuff. He didn't really want to get too close. He just wanted to see who he was. He wanted, I got, and he wanted to be able to tell his friends, I saw Jesus. But he, did, he didn't want to get too close to him, see. He wanted to see who he was. And we know this. He wanted to get close enough to see him. So he wanted to see who Jesus was because he was a short man. He could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead. So he, he makes this path. And he prepares himself to encounter Jesus without encountering Jesus. Yeah. He, he, he takes this as an opportunity. I'm going to encounter Jesus and I'm going to see him, but he ain't going to see me. That's what he's doing. So he goes way ahead of Jesus. He figures out, where can I go where I can see Jesus, but he won't mess with me? Doesn't that remind you of some church services and revivals and camp meetings you've been in? <laughs> People want to come to see the show, they want, but they, don't, they want to see Jesus, but they don't want him messing with them. So Zach goes way ahead of the crowd. He goes out there and he plots his path. He knows the path Jesus is going on. Can you imagine the research that he did? And he goes out there and, he, and this is what it says. So he ran ahead and climbed up a sycamore fig tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. Now I just want you to know, I've been Zacchaeus before. I've been in places like this, and I've been in camp meetings before, many times in my life, uh, before I became a Christian. And I wanted to hear a preacher like Bob Harrington, kind of cool, I wanted to get, get near him. And it's, it's, but I didn't want to be bothered because I was in the nosebleeds when Bob Harrington preached. I was up there in the top back, baby. I mean, we were way up. Because we were planning on having a good old time. We were not interested in Jesus. Well, so he climbed up this fig, sycamore fig tree. And, and I got to tell you, when I've been in church, the night, the night before I got saved, I didn't tell you the story. I was a lost drug addict, smoking pot, smoking hash, drinking beer, chasing girls, stealing cars, stealing drugs, doing, doing LSD, all kinds of clear bladder, bladder acid, purple microdot, orange barrel, every imaginable drug you can imagine. I was really messed up. And the night before I became a Christian, I was tripping on a four-way hit of blotter acid. This was 1976 in Virginia Beach, Virginia, while I was in Williamsburg. And my father, my father asked me to take my brother to, to church. Now, I got to tell you, I had zero interest in going to church. I was tripping, man. I mean, why do you want to go to church when you're tripping? That's just like, that's a total buzzkill. I'm telling you. Because when the Spirit shows up, you can't have fun with your high. Because he's like my wife. He finds stuff that's there that shouldn't be there. And he looks for stuff that's supposed to be in there that's not. And so I, I go to church that night and my dad's too cheap. He's too cheap for me, for me to come home. I have to drive Daniel there and I have to wait for him. So I was kind of like Zach. I had this perfect plan. I, I dropped Daniel off. I said, I'll be out here. I'll see you later. I sat out there, and you know, it was a hot night, and 
My dad would kill me if I ran the car and kept the air conditioner on for like an hour and a half. Because those crazy Nazarenes, it was crazy what they did. On, they, did the, they did the weirdest thing on Wednesday night. They came together on Wednesday night and they just pray for an hour. They'd holler out and scream and bawl and squall. They'd make all kinds of shouts and noises. It was just, to me, that was just kind of crazy. I kind of like it now, but then. So I got, got to being hot on me. If you've ever been in Virginia in the summertime when it's about 100 degrees and 100% humidity, it's hotter than bean dip. Bean dip's hot and it stays hot. And, I, and I, so I finally decided to come in. I snuck in the side door of the church and I went in the nursery. It was a safe place. So I'm in the nursery and back then they had a window into the nursery. Except you couldn't see in the window, right? But the window people inside could see you. So the lights were down. They didn't have any children in that church. And I was sitting in there in the rocker chair. They had an old rocking chair for old women to rock the babies, you know. And, uh, and I'm sitting in there just chilling, man. I'm feeling cool. I'm high. I'm buzzing. I'm chilling. And all of a sudden, it hits me. Somebody left a speaker on in the nursing. In the nursery. They left a speaker on. So I'm sitting there, and I think I'm away from this thing. And all of a sudden, I start hearing them praying. Oh, God, they're praying for everybody on the planet. And then it happens. Mrs. Lloyd who was my junior high boy Sunday school teacher, who loved me as a little boy. She said, oh, God, send someone to Mark Bain. <laughs> like right over the loudspeaker, send someone to Mark Bain. I'm like, I'm thinking, where are they coming from? Where are they? How did they know? They, these Christians, they know stuff about you. And you, when you get around them, you know they know. And it just drives you crazy. Well, I was just, it just scared me to death. And then she went on. She didn't stop with that. She said, oh, Lord, you know, he's a drug addict. <laughs> How did they, see, I didn't think they knew. I thought, you know, the, 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 I had them all tricked because I never went to church. And she said, oh, God, he's chasing girls. Oh. I mean, I stand there like I'm naked, man, totally exposed. They all know me. I had to get out of there. I left that nursery. I ran out. And here's what last thing I heard him said. She said, send someone to Mark Bain. Send someone to him. That was Wednesday night. You heard my story on Sunday. On Thursday, I was at Virginia Beach, tripping on another four-way hit of blotter acid. And I walked into a boardwalk gas station, hamburger joint, and I encountered a guy that looked me in the eyes, and he said, excuse me, I'd like to ask you two questions. I said, okay. I mean, I was, I was tripping, man. I don't, care. I don't care what you ask me. That's cool, you know? you know. And he says, do you know the Lord? And then that kind of troubled me. I thought, there's some kind of a plot. How does he know Mrs. Lloyd? I'm like 50 miles from Mrs. Lloyd, and now dude is right there in my face asking me about God. And I remember she asked that God would send somebody to me, and I'm thinking, there's this communist plot against me. I said, none of your business. I didn't come here to hear about God. I came here to get a burger. Get out of my face. And I got to walk, and he grabbed my elbow and spun me around. He said, there was a second question. May I ask you that? And I said, sure, go ahead. He said, the Bible says that the gates to hell are very broad, and most people enter that gate. But the gate to heaven is very narrow, and only a few people enter that gate. And he looked me right in the eyes, and he said, are you going to be one of the few that enters the narrow gate? I didn't know a lot about God. But I knew that when God got around me, I kind of started realizing that I had some things in my life that needed to go. And there were things that were not in my life that needed to come. And when, as soon as that guy said that to me, all those memories just flooded back through my mind when I was a little boy in Sunday school and Mrs. Lloyd told me that I shouldn't be lying and cheating and talk about the Ten Commandments. All of a sudden, all that stuff started running through me. And you know what? It wasn't that guy. It wasn't Miss Lloyd. It wasn't Bob Harrington. It was, it's like hand, hand grenades. And horseshoes, when he's close, it counts. Amen. When he gets around you, something happens. Stuff starts getting exposed and revealed, and, and it's not comfortable. And I don't care how safe you feel, you can't avoid it. Because the Spirit of the, God, the Lord shows up and things start showing up. I mean, in your life, you start seeing stuff that you didn't think about. That maybe shouldn't be there. She's going she's gonna, to, where, where's that crock pot? I gotta wash those dishes. I gotta, I gotta put those pillows back. Just, I gotta, you gotta put them up right, or it's not gonna look. I, I'm just, I'm just going all day. This sermon just messed with me. 
That's what happened to Zacchaeus. I want you to hear this. So he climbed up, and you can imagine, Zach felt like I did that day at that Bob Harrington crusade. Zach's up in that tree, chilling. He probably got his foot on one of those little limbs, leaning back on the butt of the tree. He sees Jesus. He said, this is a good view. And he probably broke off a couple limbs and put them in front of him so he can just right see through them, but they can't see him. Listen, it says, when Jesus reached that spot, he looked up. Won't you catch this? This is the way of Jesus. It's the craziest thing. He's always coming after people. He's always, he, he, you know, he's on you like a heat-seeking missile on, a, on, a, on a, a jet that's from another country trying to shoot you. He, he is coming after you. This is what this says. So it says, it says when Jesus reached his spot, he stopped and he looked up. Old Zach thought he was cool. I mean, I've been to church sometimes when I didn't want to come because my mom and dad mad at me. And, and I'd sit behind the fat guy so that the preacher wouldn't see me. I felt pretty safe. And then the fat guy goes to the altar. Ah! I'm exposed. So Jesus stopped and he looked up. Listen. He said, Zacchaeus. He, he never met Zacchaeus. He never had a meal with Zacchaeus. He never been in his, in his house. He never been in his, there's no evidence anywhere in Scripture he had ever met Zacchaeus. And he knew his name. When I say three, I want everybody to say your name. Ready? One, three. Let's try it again. I tricked you. Let's try it. We'll do the two. Right? Let's try it again. I want to hear your name really loud. Everybody say your name. One, two, three. Amen. Do you know that Jesus knows your name? He doesn't just know your name. He said, come down immediately. I must stay at your house. See, Jesus is kind of like my wife. He wants to come to your house. And you know what happens when he comes to your house? The same thing that happens when you get in his presence. He starts pointing stuff out. Stuff underneath the bed. Stuff on the television. Things in the computer. He starts, he starts, and he starts looking for stuff like Bibles, <laughs> and little prayer rooms. And that's what he does when he comes to your house. He wants to come to your house. Now, I know it's annoying, just like it is when Cherry comes home, but it's good for me. I've learned how to make a bed and put eight absolutely, completely unnecessary pillows on that bed <laughs> every morning. Because it's good to learn discipline. Well, that's the story. We'll talk about it. I want to read you the verse 9 and 10, and this is probably one of my favorite parts of the verse, and you can flip that slide over to the next screen or, or the next one. Luke 19, 9 and 10 says, Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, for the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Now, what I, want to, what I want to talk to you about tonight is not so much the lost part. We'll talk about that. But I want to talk to you about what Jesus came to do. See, Jesus uses an analogy of sheep and shepherds in this story. Seeking and saving the lost is, a, is, a, is analogous to shepherding. And what he means by this, and here's what he just simply means this. <clears throat> he means that he's coming after Zach. And the reason he's coming after him is because Zach is lost. And here's the, I know that sometimes that word's offensive to people, but it's not offensive if you're a shepherd. And it's certainly not offensive if you're a sheep. See, if you're a sheep, the word being lost is not a bad word. Because a sheep, I understand this, I don't know it from personal experience, but I've done some reading. A sheep is the dumbest animal on the planet. They're just dumb. They don't have any brains. If one sheep walks off a cliff, here they all come. That's where the count your sheep thing came from. They don't have enough sense to stop. Here, you know, meh. You'd think that guy was matting for something wrong, and then you hear this, that would get your attention. But not if you're a sheep. Because a sheep doesn't know how to protect themselves. They're not smart enough to defend themselves. They don't know how to stay out of danger. 
So what Jesus is really saying in this, in this story, he's saying the Son of Man came to seek to find people that are out of place and suffering damage. Because a shepherd is not around them to protect them. Because they're not smart enough to protect themselves. I got news for you. You're not smart enough to protect yourself. I know you think you are. In fact, turn to the person next to you and say, without Jesus, you're just sorry. I know you did that Sunday. I just want to remind you of it. <laughs> because without him, you can do nothing. But with him, you can do all things. Amen? Amen. But you can't do anything without him. See, that's why when Jesus shows up, stuff, weird stuff starts happening. He starts thinking. He starts making you think. He does. He starts making you think. He starts making you think, that's stupid what I'm, like I have a friend who was in the church and he was a good man, a good godly man, and he got involved with pornography. The next thing you know, he got really involved with pornography. He became a minister in the church. He was ordained. I went to a church to take a pastor and he begged me to bring him with me. And I thought that was very weird. He begged me. And he said, I just need to be around somebody that, that's deeply spiritual. And he went with me and the next thing you know, I guess his pornography got worse. It just got worse. Because you know what? Because he's like us. He's a dumb sheep without God. Now he'd been around God a lot. He'd been in God's church all the time. But he was dumb because he didn't have the shepherd in his brain. See, he was operating his own strength. He got so addicted to this pornography, he started, started looking at pornography for men. We caught him looking for horny young teenage boys on the internet. He ended up having an affair with a young man on his wife, left his wife and his son and destroyed his whole life. But about nine months ago, I got a word. That dummy, he showed up in church one night like this. And you know what happened? You know who was there? You know who was in town? <laughs> Jesus was in town. And Jesus showed up and told him all that nasty activity was bad. God wasn't pleased with it. He needs to stop it. And he did. Because when Jesus shows up, you get happy. You get humble. And you get holy. Amen? Well, that's what happened. I want to talk to you a little bit about this story. The problem with this whole thing is Zacchaeus thought he was safe in the presence of God. He thought he could hide stuff in the presence of God. He thought he could not do the things he knew he should do, and he thought he could do the things he knew he shouldn't. He really thought that. He thought that he, because he had been so used to being away from the presence of God, that when the presence of God showed up, he just didn't realize that, it's, hey, I'm not safe. I want to give you some points. You got your notes? You ready to fill them out? Here we go. This relates to the story we just talked about. First thing I want to tell you is Jesus knows where you are. Funny thing, there have been many times I've sat in services and I was kind of there because mama made me come or daddy made me come or daddy made Danny drive me, take Danny to church that night. I mean, there have been many times in my life. You know, God knew exactly where I was that night. Now, I've, I went back. After I got saved, I went back. That, was, that became my church, the Newport Church, New Church in Nazarene. And I promise you <clears throat> that every time I came to church, I went back to see if those speakers were on the nursery. And they didn't even work. <laughs> they couldn't have been on. It was the Holy Spirit. When the Holy Spirit shows up, you start hearing stuff that you don't normally hear when he's not around. You start thinking things you don't think when he's not around. Amen. He knew he needed Jesus, but he was kind of a coward. We all are. You know, we don't want to really deal with our stuff, do we? You see, you start dealing with your stuff and confessing stuff, all of a sudden, you might get fixed up. If you get fixed up, you might start hurting the devil, and the devil doesn't like that. So he just makes you stay back and hide behind the fat guy. Feel safe. I'm good. So he hid. I can't tell you the number of times that I hid. When the Spirit of God, I remember when the preacher would come in, knock on my door. I'd be in my back bedroom smoking some hash or something, and I'd see him, and I'd think, oh, Lord, please don't let him ask for me. Don't let him, Lord, don't let him. All of a sudden, that preacher shows up, and that preacher had something on him that wasn't the preacher. There was something about him that was bigger than him. When he showed up, all of a sudden, I started finding stuff in my life that wasn't supposed to be there, and I started thinking about other stuff that, that wasn't in my life that was supposed to be in there. He didn't have to say a word. It was just, it, it's like 
there's this thing when you get around God, it's called the presence. And the presence of God is far-reaching. When you get around him, he starts messing with you. And that's what happened to old Zach. Except Jesus made it very real. Old Zach's just sitting there and everything's chilling. He's good. He gets to see Jesus. He's going to tell his friends he got to see him. He was hiding so he could see who Jesus was. He didn't want to get connected to Jesus. He didn't want Jesus to bother him. He, didn't want Jesus to, he, did, he liked his life as miserable as he was. Isn't it funny how we like something that's just miserable? You can just live in guilt and shame all the time. And you just kind of get, nor- it becomes normative to you. Just like when I didn't make my bed all those times. Sherry surprised me. She snuck in. She didn't tell me about her coming home for my birthday. She came home. And I thought it was perfectly fine to have popcorn on the table and, and have, you know, a couple pair of shoes in the living room and have a whole sink full of dishes and the bed was all messed up and all the pillows were in the corner on the floor. <laughs> she shows up. I felt just like I did when that lady started praying in that church that night. It started messing with me. B, he didn't want Jesus to notice him. See, I, here's what I think. I think there's some people in here tonight. That you're interested. You're, you're here because you're interested. You kind of showed up. You know, you go, you go to church. It's just what you do. But see, there's a, there's a problem. When the Holy Spirit shows up, it's not like anything else any other time. It's different. And when he shows up, he's going to notice you. Somebody say amen and ouch. Today's church is composed of many people like this. Church has become more of a social event. It's an addendum, an add-on to our life. It's like, it's like getting another piece of jewelry to match your jacket. It kind of makes it look good. That's church. But see, church and the Holy Spirit are not always synonymous. Sometimes I've been to churches where there was no Holy Spirit. There was no presence. I want to tell you tonight that this week I felt the thickness of God's presence in those places. And I tell you, I've preached myself under conviction more than I have you this week. God has spoken to me. God's got me praying more. You ever thought you were doing enough? You know, I'm doing all right. Kind of like old Zach up in the tree, leaning back on the log. Got his feet crossed. You think everything's okay until God shows up. And when the Spirit shows up, all of a sudden, what you're doing doesn't seem adequate. Who you are doesn't seem to be good enough. It's like God wants to fix things in your life. He wants to add things that aren't there, and he wants to take things out that are there. Amen? Somebody say amen. But church has become more of a social, it's not transformative to us. We just kind of come and do it and go home and we're the same. We feel good because all we got was happy. See, if all you get is when you're happy, the Holy Spirit wasn't there. Because when the Holy Spirit comes, you get happy, you get humble, and you get holy. I've been in a lot of places that that didn't happen. Number C, people hide in the strangest places, don't they? (laughs) In church. (laughs) I read a statistic the other day that said 40% of churchgoers do not have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Can you imagine when the Holy Spirit shows up, what that does? Tell you what it does, we kind of start, kind of start hiding. We, We think if we can look pretty and look like a Christian, put a big smile on, that somehow it's going to be okay, but the Holy Spirit shows up and it's not okay. See, I've been praying that that would happen this week. I think God's been faithful, don't you? In a house of cards. You see, I told you about this man that um, came on staff with me and went with me to Albuquerque. He had this problem. I, I want to tell you, he had this problem with pornography ever since he was 13 years old. And he was able to manage it. He was able to go ahead and live his life, having all this horrible stuff in his life that was getting worse and worse and more and more progressive, and he knew he was living on the edge, and his, his life was like a house of cards. And all it needed was one card to fall, and the whole thing was going to crumble. But he felt safe because it hadn't crumbled yet. His wife didn't know yet. He hadn't been caught on the internet yet. A house of cards. See, a lot of people I've met in my life in the church, they're living in that kind of a house of cards. They're just barely holding their lives together. And they think, man, if I could just go to church one Sunday, I can get straightened out. Kind of like me when my wife comes. I'm going to go make my bed this month. I haven't made it for three months because Sherry's not home. When she comes home, I'm going to make my bed. It's a a house of cards, guys. 
See, who, who we really are is who we are when Jesus is there. It's not who we are when we start thinking he's coming. See, Jesus wants to be in your life and be, he wants your, his presence to be in your life 24-7. You see, if, the, if his presence is in your life, you don't have to, want, want to have to wait to go to church to find out how that feels. Because you have it all the time. See, he says, you know, Paul says, you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit dwells in you. See, when the Spirit dwells in you, you can't have all that nasty filth in there. It just doesn't work. It just doesn't work. When the Spirit's there, He pushes all that junk out. When my wife is home, I have to make my bed. I better know where the dishes are. And if I go out and cook at the park or the 30s, she asked me when, before I leave, she said, you going to bring that stuff back? And then when I come home, she said, did you bring that stuff back? Amen. Where's it at? Are you going to wash it? Because she, when she's with me, she kind of keeps me straight. But when she's not with me, I get all jacked up. Stuff builds up and it becomes heavy on me. Before you know it, it's kind of like a house of cards. I don't want her to show up. I'd rather her wait until I, and we always put it off. But see, that's what people, that's what Zach did. He just kept putting it off, putting it off. But people hide in the strangest places. Number two, Jesus knows who you are. He knows exactly what you're feeling. I want you to know, right now, the Holy Spirit knows exactly what's going on in your brain. He knows what you're thinking about. He knows the stuff that he's put his finger on. And he knows the stuff he's telling you you need to add to your life. And he knows the stuff that he's telling you you need to take out of your life. He, he knows everything about, he knows what you did last night. He knows what you did last week. He knows the thing you did that you know you shouldn't have done, that you don't think he knows. You're feeling safe. But what happens is when you get in his presence, all of a sudden, ah! You, it, this stuff just gets exposed. Well, I'll tell you this one. This is a good one. Jesus is pursuing you. He's coming after you. He, he walked right down that path, and he stopped right under, he's right, right where Zachary. I mean, you can you imagine poor old Zach up there feeling safe and comfortable? Everything's going all of a sudden. And Zach's going, no, 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 no. Break a few more limbs. Put them up under him. No, I don't want him to see me. Because as soon as he shows up, stuff start, you start feeling a little bit of, you start feeling those things that need to go in your life. And you start feeling those things that need to come. I want to tell you something. He's going to continue to pursue you. This is, this, is the, this is the truth. See, the Bible says it's not his will that any perish. God doesn't want one human to go to hell. In this room, in this room, you know how many of, of us God wants to go to hell? Not one. And he's prepared a way that every one of us, every one of us get into heaven. Every person in the room, every human in this place, God has a way to get you into heaven. But the question is, are we going to be like Zach? Are we going to hide? Well, that's no good either. That doesn't work. Because he's going to call your name. He's going to say, now you. I want, I want you. I want to come to your house. I want to clean up the stuff. I want to move the stuff out from under. I want to take the, and, the, and all, I want to move. That's, that's what he does. I love this. People quote this all the time. Romans 8, 35. This is the blessed scripture. He tells us. He says nothing in all of creation can separate you from God's love. It doesn't say nothing can separate you from his salvation. But it says nothing can separate you from his love. Because there's one thing that can separate you from his salvation in spite of his love, and that's your own free will. See, that day that I was at that beach, I had a choice. I mean, God broke my heart. I got in my car, and I'm driving home, and I'm like total buzzkill. I was, I was doing a four-way hit of blotter acid. I was smoking hash, drinking beer, smoking pot. And that guy asked me if I was going to be one of the few people that makes it happen, heaven. And instantly I was sober. I was mad because I just, I spent about $40 on all those drugs and I was straight. And that was wrong. I was angry. But I began to drive home and as I drove home, <laughs> I, never, I never noticed the spirit in my car before. But some kind of rubbed off this guy. It's kind of like some kind of spirit, a ghost or something, maybe the Holy Ghost. It rubbed off of him when I got in the car. It was there too. 
And all the way home, all I could think about was all the stuff in my life that needed to go and all the stuff in my life that needed to come. I knew God loved me. I want you to know something today. God loves you. That's why he's here. He wants to fix you up, amen? He wants to straighten you out, amen? He wants to make you useful. He wants to give you a fulfilled, happy, wonderful life. He doesn't want you to live your life for money and wealth. He wants to live your life for something bigger than that, something that's going to last longer than all that when that all burns up. Number five, he came to seek and to make safe the lost. He, you know, you see, we're suffering damage when we're away from him. This is what was the problem with Alan, my friend. You see, Alan didn't realize that every time he rejected God, he'd come to church. He'd even preach sermons. And he knew it was wrong, and he knew that God's spirit was working. You know what he did? He chose not to let it impact him. Every day, every Sunday, for 12 years, he'd be in the pulpit, and he knew he knew that it was, and he chose to reject God's Spirit. The Bible says, don't grieve the Holy Spirit. Don't grieve him. It doesn't mean don't make him mad. It means, man, I'm trying to help you, Alan. You're, you're, on a, you're building a house of cards. You're going to fall apart. You're going to destroy your marriage. You're going to destroy your family. You're going to destroy your son. Why would you do this, Alan? Alan's just, nah, 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 nah. We can say no to God. But I want to tell you, it's hard to say no to God because he's going to keep on coming and 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 keep on coming until you eventually say, I just am sick and tired of this. I'm either going to get right or get wrong. And that happened to me that day. I'll never forget it. He wants to come and clean up your house. Jesus wants to come and clean up your house. Do you know that? I don't know what's in your house. I don't know what you watch late at night. I don't know what your internet picks up and what you look at on the computer. I don't know the kind of things you send on your phone or receive on your phone. But I got news for you. A God that loves you knows. <laughs> and he knows that all that stuff, uh, the people that you're talking to that you shouldn't be talking to, the places you're going you shouldn't go, he knows that all that stuff is building a house of cards and you're going to eventually fall. He doesn't want you to. Somebody say, praise God. I mean, that's a lot of love. Most of us, if somebody's messed up our life, we just kind of let them go, stay away. Not Jesus. <laughs> he just keeps coming and coming because it's not his will that anybody perish. In fact, the Bible teaches us that God wants to depopulate hell. He doesn't want one soul in hell, not even one. And he keeps giving his chances. He's coming after you, coming after you, coming. See, that's what's happening tonight. He's coming after us. He's, not to mess us up, he wants to fix us. He wants to help us. Somebody say amen. amen. He said, I must stay at your house. When I study this story, it reminds me of three characters in the Bible. First one is Peter. I want to talk about it. Remember, after, after when Jesus was crucified, Peter brought curses down on his name. Peter was a Christian. He was serving God. He was doing great. But he brought curses down on his name. You know what happened to Peter? The same thing that happens to a lot of Christians. Go to church on a regular basis. They fail God. They do something they know they shouldn't do. And they get, the shame and guilt overwhelms them. And they run away. And they still show up in the places they're supposed to show up. But they know that there's something empty and lost inside their soul. That's where Peter was. You know what Jesus did? He didn't wait for Peter to come find him. He came and sought him out. They're fishing. Peter would kind of given up. He said, well, I guess I've just disobeyed God. I've, I've rejected the Son of God. I cursed his name the day he needed me the most. So he went fishing, went back to his life. We're in that tension every day, guys, every one of us. Am I going to go deeper with God or am I going to get shallow? Am I going to let the difficulties in my life cause me to be filled with shame and guilt or am I get close to God so he can take care of that and fix that? That's what Jesus wants to do. I want to tell you, there's some people that, that, that are living in places that are away from God. They've backslidden their faith and they think that just staying there is safe. And I want to tell you, it's a house of cards. I hope God's revealing himself to some people that have kind of gone away and they don't even know. They sometimes they're ignorant to it. Alan was. Jesus came after him. The second person, Paul. You know about Paul. Paul was a really religious per person. He was very religious. I mean, he was religious. I've known some really religious people that were some of the meanest, hatefulest most people I ever met in my life. In the church. Board members. 
mean, hateful, belligerent people. Because they'd come to church and a message would be preached and a message would be preached on bad attitudes and they would accuse the pastor of having a bad attitude for preaching it. <laughs> I'm serious. They'd preach on gossip and the preacher preach on gossip and they'd go out to dinner with their friends and tell them, who does that preacher think he is talking about gossip? <laughs> <coughs> See, that's Paul. He was very vigilant. I mean, he looked spiritual. He was doing all the right stuff. But you know what happened? <laughs> in Acts 9, it kind of messed up everything. Jesus came and found him. <laughs> he showed up on the road to Damascus. There he was. It just, it, he didn't expect it, didn't plan. All of a sudden, boom, there's Jesus. And what happens? Everything in Paul's life got exposed. Everything that was wrong got revealed. Everything that needed to go needed to go. And everything needed to come needed to come. In that moment, you know why? Because Jesus showed up. So what happens when the Spirit of God shows up? Jesus pursues you. <clears throat> and then there's Zacchaeus, a person who had no faith at all, hopelessly and helplessly lost. Didn't even have a real interest in God or the Bible or Christian. Did, you know, did, didn't believe in Jesus. He just, he thought he was a, he was, was a kind of a phenom, phenom. He's a freak show. He wanted to come see this freak. The problem was <laughs> there was something on Jesus that was bigger than Jesus. It's called the Holy Spirit. And when Jesus showed up, all of a sudden, he looks up in the tree and he calls him down. <clears throat> I want to tell you that I believe with all my heart Jesus is here tonight. I believe he's been here all week. I want you to know that those of you filled out cards last night and put them in the little offering plate, I read every one of them and prayed for every one of them last night. I didn't get to bed until really late, but it was wonderful. I prayed for you. And the reason I prayed, <clears throat> the reason I prayed for you is because I think I think there's some people here that fit one of these three descriptions. You've been a Christian. You've been a good Christian. You've been able to keep the pretense up, but you know that your heart is backslid, and you don't have joy and hope, and you don't have happiness in your life. And the things that you used to feel badly about doing, they don't bother you anymore because you keep saying, I'm okay, I'm okay, and you keep callousing yourself when you come. I believe God's going to break some of those calluses tonight. <coughs> some of you are like Paul. And we are. We, uh, all, these, all three of these characters, they carry this horrible guilt. Whenever the Holy Spirit comes around, they, all of a sudden it's, they just feel exposed. Remember what we read the other night? The Word of God is living and active, sharper than a double-edged sword. It penetrates to the dividing of the souls, the joints, and the marrow. It exposes everything. Nothing in all of creation can be hidden from the sight of the one to whom we must all give an account. <clears throat> that's what happens when the Holy Spirit shows up. When the Word is spoken. And I believe that's happened tonight. So I'm going to tell you how to fix it. This happened to me. When I was a young man, before I became a Christian, I did a horrible, I was a mean person. I'd put an M80. You know what an M80 is? It's like a big old firecracker. It's like a piece of dynamite inside a firecracker. And we used to play with them. It wasn't like a little firecracker. It's a big one. I mean, you put an M80 in something, it blows up, it blows up the bottle. It blows up a big old metal uh, pot. <clears throat> I would light it and throw it under some old woman just to watch her jump. Now that's mean. <clears throat> I did some nasty stuff. We'd go out, <clears throat> we'd go out and we'd get apples, apples, and, uh, and our gang was called the BBA, the Brentwood Bad and you can do the math. And we were in this gang, <clears throat> the BBA. We were in this gang and we would split up, half of us on one side of the street, the other half on the other side, and when the right car came, we'd have like 50 apples each. We'd just boo, 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 We'd just smash that car with apples, break the window sometimes, and we'd run and laugh. No. Like that was funny. All that stuff started coming real to me when I got in that church and I'm sitting back here in that nursery. All of a sudden I start seeing apples flying. What's that? I hadn't thought about those apples for months. But probably the worst thing I did was Mr. Riley owned a laundromat. In fact, he owned two laundromats. And he knew that I was a poor kid, and I'd come in there, you know, and he'd let me help him clean up the laundromat at night. You know, wash, wash down the laundromat, wash down the dryers and the washers, and kind of wipe mop the floors. And he'd pay me what little bit of money I would get from him. He'd pay me. And, but there were some nights when the laundromat was just really clean, and it didn't need much help, and he didn't need me. So old mean Mark got an idea. Yeah. Now, now he had video cameras, right? There were two of them, one in that end, one in this end. 
But I worked for him, and I'd always go back in the back. In the back. He'd always tell me those cameras don't have film, and it's just to kind of make people think it, to scare them from doing bad stuff, you know. So I thought, so I thought, those cameras don't have me film. I'm going to go in there, and we're going to get some eggs. We got four dozen eggs, me and my buddies. And we egged the place. We smashed eggs all over the laundromats, all over the, the washers and the dryers. We smashed them on the floor and smeared them all over the floor. And then we left because we wanted to get a six-pack that night. And we didn't have any money. And Mr. Riley wasn't going to use us. The laundromat was too clean. We took care of that problem. <laughs> I'd show up there when Mr. Riley came in later on. Hey, Mr. Riley, you need any help cleaning up tonight? <laughs> yeah, Mark, some idiots. I mean, when I did that, when I, see, my friends were afraid. They put, like, stockings over the heads because they didn't want him to see them. They thought I was crazy, man, because Bane would go in there. I wouldn't have nothing on. I'd go giving the camera all kinds of nonverbal communication. You know, they thought, Bane's crazy. He's lost his mind. He's going to go to jail. You're on film, man. What's wrong with you? I said, I don't care about Mr. Riley. That happened. And I'd come back in there, and he'd pay me, and I'd get enough money to go buy a six-pack, and my friends would go out and party. Many nights it happened. Well, I'll tell you, that was when I was about 13, 14 years old. Well, I kind of got away from that, got into drug culture and got into gangs, all that, and I kind of left the laundromat thing. But it was always on me. The thing that I'd done was always, oh, I felt bad. I got saved, and I went off to college <clears throat> and studying to be in ministry, and that thing was still on me. <laughs> you know why that was on me? Because the Holy Spirit was in me. And I was, at, I was in my dorm one time at Christmas. I had two days before I was going to go back from Trevecca back home for my winter Christmas break. And I was praying by myself. And all of a sudden, I started seeing eggs flying. And I started seeing me flipping the bird and the care. All this stuff just ran through my mind. You know why? Because I was close to the Spirit. And that stuff was being exposed. It was being revealed to me. And I got on that plane and I flew home. And I was going to go see Mr. Riley. I felt horrible. I've been carrying that for about five years. <coughs> I found his house. I knew where he lived. <coughs> Two boxes away from my house. I came to his house. I knocked on the door. Here he come, kind of a skinny, kind of a shoveled, shattered up guy. <coughs> I said, Mr. Riley, I said, you probably don't know me. You don't remember me because I was just a little boy, 13. Now I'm like, you know, 20, 22. I said, but I'm Mark Payne. He said, I know who you are. I remember you. He said, you used to help me clean my laundromat. I said, yeah, but Mr. Riley, there's something you don't know that I need to tell you. I said, I, I did a horrible thing. My friends, I told him the story. We'd throw eggs, and some nights we'd bring tomatoes in, and some nights we'd, we'd bring some, we found some old rotten potatoes. You ever seen rotten potatoes? They stink so bad. We'd do rotten potatoes. We did it all, man, just for a six-pack. When I started confessing this, he says, Mark, you know you're saying anything else. He said, he said, I know you did all that. He said, there were tapes in that camera. <laughs> and I started, I almost started weeping because I was so ashamed. He said, but you know, Mark, he said, about three years ago, I found out I heard that You'd become a Christian. He said, you know, I've been a Christian most of my life. I heard that you'd become a Christian. He said, I don't know why, but for some reason when I saw those videos, he said, for some reason I just, I prayed and God said not to do anything. I could have put you in jail. He said, God told me not to do anything, just to wait. And he said, I found out from one of your friends that you became a Christian and that you went off to college to study for ministry. And he said, I got all those tapes and I went in the backyard and I had a bonfire. You see, that is what Jesus wants to do tonight. Amen. I'm going to ask the praise team to come up. I want you to all bow your heads, close your eyes, no one looking around. This is it, guys. This is our last night together. God wants to do some business with us. Earlier in the service, I asked you, I want you to be honest now. Don't think there's, I want you to just find yourself isolated right here. There's nobody around you but you, you and the Holy Spirit. I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes. Maybe y'all could do one of those songs about he is here or something, because I think he is. I want you to bow your heads. It's been a great joy to talk to you this week and be with you. But I've sensed all week that there's, that there's some people in this church that are breakout people. They're flagship people.
And they're being held down by guilt and shame for something that they've done or, or some activity they've committed or some habit that's in their lives. And, and they're not liberated, free. They're running around in guilt. And, they, and they're, all they're thinking about is those videos, all, all that stuff. And they see things flying through their minds. Then they just resist and they, and they hide and they think they're safe. I've prayed tonight that tonight this place would not be safe for those people. So if you're here, you're here tonight, I want you to know that I've prayed for you. That God would reveal some things in your life. Maybe there's some people here that used to be really on fire for God, but you've lost your fire. I just want you to be real, real candid tonight. How many of you would say, Pastor Mark, I used to be really on fire and I've kind of lost my fire. I want you to stand up real quick. You got courage to do that? Stand up. That's right. All over. No. This, this place has a lot of people like this, folks. You've lost your fire. You're not as happy in His presence as you used to be. How many of you could say, that's me. I've lost some of my fire. I came here tonight thinking I was going to be safe, enjoy a nice revival service. All of a sudden, God starts revealing stuff and starts showing me stuff. Would you stand? You don't have the fire, the joy, the life. That's what happened to Peter. He's carrying guilt around, shame. That's right. Stand up. I want, can we be honest tonight? You know who you are. You can just resist this and say, I'm just going to leave here and be okay. I, I, I'm safe. Nobody knows. God knows. He wants to reveal this because he, he wants to liberate. He wants to set this church free. I think he wants to set this church on fire. What if you're sitting there and you're the key? What if you're the spark that God wants to use and you're going to sit there and just say, I'm not going to do it. I'm fine. Everybody thinks I'm on fire. But you know better. Would you stand? Help me. Would you come down and pray? Just leave your seat if you're standing. Come and kneel, would you please? Just come step right out here. If you're, if you're here, you're not going to have to be alone now. If you need a fire in your heart tonight, I want you to come and kneel here. I've lost that fire. I've, I've lost the juice, I, the joy, the, ho the happiness when Jesus shows up. I'm not happy to see him anymore. I'll think about the bad stuff. come down and let the Holy Spirit come and change something in you tonight. There's some people here you're like you're like Paul. You're religious. You're religious but there's no real life in your soul. You go to church and you know it. I go to church but man I just go to church because I've been doing it for so long and it's just church. I don't want it to just be church anymore. God, I want to have a fire. Would you do something for me, God? Take my religion and give me life. I don't want to just go to church. I don't want to just have another service. I don't want to just sing some more songs and pray some more prayers and act happy and smile big. I want something real in my soul tonight. As you're coming, you're not going to have to leave alone. There's some of you here tonight. You've been away from Jesus. You're not, you know you're not a Christian. You're not serving Jesus tonight. And you came here tonight feeling safe, but the Holy Spirit, Jesus stopped and called your name. He called your name. You know it. If he's called your name, would you just get up like Zach and say, I'm coming, you're coming to my house. There's some things in your house that need to be cleaned up. That's right. Come on down. Say, God, I want you to clean this thing up in my life. Would you clean it up? There's, there's some dirt. There's some filth. There's some things I'm ashamed of in my life. Who would, who would say, there's some things in my house, Pastor, some things in my life that God needs to clean up, and I'm ashamed of it. I'm embarrassed. Would you just stand and come on down? Why would you sacrifice this amazing opportunity to let God do in your heart what He wants to do in your heart? He's here. I want them to sing that and play through one course, and I want you to stand, everyone, in the congregation. And if God has spoken to you tonight, came here feeling safe. If God's spoken to you, I want you to take the courage. I don't care how spiritual everybody thinks you are. You know who you are. And better than that, He knows who you are. If you want to get some fire tonight, if you want to let God come in and change your heart, you've been in church a long time and you've never really made that commitment. To, right now is the night. This is the time. Last night of revival. I want to challenge you to be obedient to God. As they sing this song, I want you to slip out and come and pray. There's room on these front pews. You can kneel and you can kneel on these on these right here in front of this, these steps, would you come while they say? Come get all he's got. That's right. You just come on down. Get what he's got for you. Hallelujah.
Don't let everybody get it. You come and get it. He's here. He's exposing things. There's places right here you can heal. Right in front of these stairs. We will never be the same. Just talk to Jesus. Tell him what you want. Ask him to give it to you. last call we're not doing another verse of just as I am <laughs> except we need to know that it is just as you are that he comes to you he loves you I want to just give us one last chance before we close this, this part of the service in prayer I believe that there's some people here that need something from God tonight and you're and you're resisting it and I love you and I don't want to tarry but I was sitting in a place like this in my life and I remember the the, the pastor gave me one more chance and that was the night that I got sanctified I was filled with God's spirit it changed my life forever some of you need something more from God tonight would you just step out I'm going to ask them to sing this one more time with all their hearts and while they do I want you just to slip out and come there's some places right here in front of these steps you come and kneel if you know somebody that's down here praying you want to pray for them come on down we're going to have a time of prayer but if you want to come with them and you need God to give you something you need I want you to come down and get that right now Let's sing it together one last time. Yes,
There's some sparks at this altar, God. There's some people here you want to raise up, Lord. They're going to start a fire on this church and the whole, whole city's going to come and watch fire. up their lives, before they start building this house of cards, before they get in trouble, before they have habits and behaviors that are going to destroy their future, Lord. Purify his heart, God. Make him clean and holy. His young age of Simple. 